Hello and welcome to the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. This podcast is designed to empower you with the knowledge to live a healthy and happy life, to banish the years of yo-yo dieting, heal your relationship with food, make lifelong changes to your health by learning evidence-based nutritional techniques with self-compassion, mindfulness and behaviour change to feel more accepting and confident both in your mind and your body. We'll likely be adding a little bit of feminism, some sass and some humour along the way. I hope you enjoy and thank you for tuning in. Hello everyone. Happy Friday. Happy New Year. Welcome to another live Q&A. The first one of the year. Let me tell you, I'm buzzing about it. Absolutely buzzing about it. It's been a phenomenal start to January and I am so full of love and so full of pride for each and every one of you. You've done incredible over Christmas. To hear no food guilt, no shame, banishing diet culture, creating space for language in the office, and really getting curious about how you want your 2024 to pan out for you. Honestly, it's phenomenal. It really is. And yeah, you've all filled my cup, so thank you very much. Thank you, because let's be honest, the weather is wild here in the UK, wild. It is brutally cold, and I say that and it's like seven degrees and next week it's going to be in the minuses and I'm like, not sure how I feel about that. And I think as well, one of the things that we forget, Christmas is over, right? Christmas is done and... For some, it is a real time for joy, connection, love. For others, Christmas can be quite difficult. I hold space for everybody. And I hope everybody had as best Christmas as they could. But then we have this like new year and this intense driver to set New Year's resolutions, which you all know my opinion on New Year's resolutions. And then there's this huge, huge push for dieting in January, right? From diet culture, from the media, from even supermarkets and huge diet clubs, right? But the one bit that we forget, that we overlook, January is still winter. We are still hibernating. It is still cold. People are getting up in the dark and going to work in the dark, coming home in the dark. Yet we're told from said diet culture to be motivated, in inverted commas, to want to change, to be ready to change. But actually, some of us, and I include myself in this, are still in their own little winter cocoon freezing their tits off. Frankly, motivation 
feels like a sardine round the chops. It's like a slap in the face. I'm like, sorry, what? What is that? When is it coming? So if you're feeling a bit blue in January and you're like, where is this wild amount of motivation that I'm meant to have and this huge desire to want to change? Said in the most sarcastic voice you've probably ever heard of me say. <laughs> know that it's completely normal to feel the way you're feeling. I know for myself in particular, I'm just like, to the point where I messaged my best friend last week, I was like, I'm not vibing anything at the minute. <laughs> you know, it really does impact our mood. And this is where coming full circle back to some discipline with your values and knowing that your health is a lifelong journey, right? And remember I said health. Health is not fat loss. Health is nurturing and taking care of your mind and your body, your environment, your boundaries, protective, supportive. And you can still be doing those things even if you're feeling somewhat blue. But that has to come from banishing diet culture. Because you, if you're engaging in diet culture and you're exposed to this narrative this time of year and you're not feeling said motivation, said drive to want to change, it's met with all or nothing. You then think that there's something wrong with you. You think that there's a defect within you. You think you're broken when actually probably you're just human. You are human, right? It's not That's not probable. <laughs> you are human. But there's likely a reason you're feeling the way you're feeling because it's winter, because it's bloody freezing. And you might notice a shift in your desire to want to change comes spring when everything's a little bit brighter. The birds are tweeting a little bit louder. The sun is coming out a few more days of the week. Everything is starting to blossom. You might then notice a shift in your desire, which then may be more value aligned for you to pursue a goal of change. So just bear that in mind. Anyway, let's get to it. I don't really have much to say today. I hope you all enjoyed my email this morning. Clickbait telling you I was going on the Zoe diet, which I am never going to go on the Zoe diet, ever. Unless, no, I'm not. I was going to say unless I was diagnosed with diabetes, but I still wouldn't go on the Zoe diet. <laughs> you know, I just managed my blood sugars and resistance strain. I managed my health. But yeah, that was clickbait. I'm not going on the Zoe diet. And in fact, actually, I had a message this week saying that it's quite a credible diet. And that really got my back up, big time. <laughs> Voice notes were coming out of me. <laughs> and I think we have to be really open-minded when we see things are credible, right? I could Google now the keto charlatans and find some credibility behind a keto diet. Whilst in the research, there is no conclusive evidence that suggests keto is of any benefit to gem pop. And if we just think back a few years, there was credibility behind the bloody special K diet. Because these diets 
they're backed by some of the most successful CEOs, entrepreneurs in the world that have a disposal income, that can throw money at marketing, that can throw money at influencers, that will create ads to invite you into another disordered eating method. Because frankly, it is. It's another fixation on food. It's another way of finding reasons not to change behaviors, improve your mindset, work on self-awareness, work on emotional well-being, work on your overall health. I mean, really, who wants to send off poo samples and then be given a personalized approach? When, like I said, in that meta-analysis, there is no conclusive evidence that is it is of benefit to anybody. Unless you're diabetic. But then you'll have a diabetic practitioner, you'll have a nurse, and you'll have so much awareness of what is right and what isn't right for your body. So yeah, my two pence. You're welcome for that this morning. Very welcome. Let's get cracking on the questions. <laughs> right. After having more chocolate and things over Christmas, is it better now to avoid them in January while I'm getting back to a routine? No. Absolutely not. Because avoidance, and my therapist always used to teach me this, avoidance is never going to get you sustainable change. It's never going to improve your mindset and it's never going to help you build trust and confidence in yourself. However, there is another side of this and it's a change in your language that comes to your intentions, right? So we know your intentions are fundamental in change. They are so important when we're considering both the behavior and the action that you'll be taking now and then the latter. Number one scenario, I can't have that because I had too much of that in December. So I'm avoiding it. Gosh, I can even feel my nervous system now going a bit dysregulated thinking, what are you telling me, babe? Telling me I can't have chocolate? Or the latter, second. I'm choosing to say no to this through unconditional permission to eat, knowing that I can say yes, but right now I'm saying no to the chocolate and yes to my goal of consistency and inclusion of fruits, veggies, whole foods. And this is where, on the surface, the action looks the same. If you said to any child now, if I even said to Edith, my dog, don't do that, she'll do it, right? If you said to a child, don't do that, they'll do it. If you said to me, don't do that, I'll do it. I'll test, I'll test myself, I'll test it. We don't like to be told what we can and can't do. And in essence, it takes away your autonomy. Your autonomy here with avoidance is governed through a belief that you shouldn't be eating what you believe is bad in a dieting phase. And there was a really, really cool experiment done by a guy called Jordan Syatt, who for 30 days 
ate McDonald's every day in a caloric deficit to prove that you can eat any food and lose weight. And he did lose weight. Granted, irresponsible, it's not a healthful approach. It's not an inclusive approach. And actually he lost more lean muscle mass than he did body fat because he wasn't focusing on the quality of his diet. But irrespective, he lost weight. Trying to avoid food is only gonna increase the novelty of the food. If you avoid chocolate or whatever you want to avoid in January, you've soon got Easter coming. And instead of telling yourself you can't have it and avoiding it, you can make a choice. And your intentions then come from an inclusive diet where you know you can eat it, but you also know that you can say no. And when you reduce the novelty, you remove what's known as the abstinence violation. So the abstinence violation effect is a minor violation. Say you ate a small bit of chocolate, but you're trying to avoid the chocolate. So you ate a small bit of chocolate, then this triggers the abstinence violation effect, which in essence is then going to send the brain into a frenzy, be like, oh my God, you've done something wrong. You've done something bad. You've failed at this avoidance. You are rubbish. You cannot diet. What is the point? And what trickles further? All or nothing. Emotional eating, overeating, potential binge eating episodes that can spiral into evenings, days, weekends. And then you end up eating more. And forgive me for this honesty, but the food environment we live in, you will never ever be able to avoid food. It's only getting greater. I went to the petrol station this morning to put some fuel in. And I didn't realize now you could get triple sized bounties, triple sized Mars bars. And that was available straight away in my eyesight. The fruit was at the back. So if you're avoiding this food, it's going to be around in your environment the entire time. Then what you're going to have? Increased cravings, increased desire to want to eat it, loss of control tendencies because you're trying to control your intake. And I know it goes against everything you've ever been taught to probably include food within January. But January is not this month of Mondays that we've been led to believe. January is going to come around year after year after year. We should not, just like food, have any month or day on a pedestal. And instead we focus on the process. And one of the important parts of a process is an inclusive diet with food neutrality, where food is not good or bad. And where you're eating to add food to your diet, not remove food out of your diet. So sure, now it's probably a sensible idea to add more fruits, more uh, vegetables, more proteins, more whole grains into your diet. But then you find the moderation and the balance. And that comes from unconditional permission to eat, managing your stress, managing your emotional awareness. So you have clarity and the ability to pause and give yourself permission to either say yes or say no. How to recognize if you're in a good place to diet after doing work on your relationship with food. It feels scary to begin a diet after years of failed approaches. That's a very, very, um, it's, an, it's a phenomenal question. And thank you for asking that. 
the incredible client that did. Because I think we forget this in society. Because fat loss dieting is normalized. It's normalized as a lifestyle. Fat loss dieting is not a lifestyle, but people, and I know I've coached people who have dieted for 35 years of their life through different methods, yo-yo dieting, jumping and switching between swimming clubs, um, diet plans, you know, these sort of things. So it gets to a point then when you're approaching another potential fat loss, you then have this awareness of everything that you've done previously come to the forefront of your mind and it can feel quite vulnerable. It can feel vulnerable to people to sit with hunger and not try and fill that void. It can feel vulnerable to people to reduce their food a little bit and not feel like you're going to trip back into binge eating or trip back into overeating. And recognizing when you're in a good place looks like food inclusion. So you don't have any trigger foods. You've worked through your language. So you're not labeling food as good and bad and you're not avoiding food. You've got more self-compassion and self-compassion is fundamental in the fat loss phase. You've built the resilience. And resilience, as we know, is the ability to separate from situations without it then affecting other areas of your life, like work situations. You're not coming home and binge eating because your boss has sent you a really snotty email today. Instead, you've made space for that. You've not taken that on as a you problem. And you've got tools to work through that to help bring you back down to your place of wonder of tolerance, your place of peace, calm, acceptance. You're doing it for your health. So you understand how it adds value to your life. You're not doing it because diet culture tells you to do it. You've got good amounts of movement and you're moving for your health. You know your values. You don't restrict food before you're going out. You don't undo any potential overeating. You don't demonize that. You're accepting. Your mindset is flexible. Your intentions are led with awareness, with understanding. Because in reality, the difference between the work you do on your food relationship and a fat loss is as simple as the amount of food you eat, right? So to elicit fat loss, you just have to be in a caloric deficit. And I mean that with the utmost respect. It's not just being in a calorie deficit, right? But the principle is that. But when we're looking at sustainable fat loss, when we're looking at a very holistic approach, this, the tortoise in the race, because fat loss is not a race. Fat loss is hard. I don't care who says it isn't, it is. You're in essence starving your body. The behaviors and the mindset from your food relationship work should not change, right? You shouldn't be falling back into guilt. You shouldn't then be avoiding food. You shouldn't then be shaming your body. 
You shouldn't then be aiming for perfection. You shouldn't then be trying to meticulously control and perfect your diet. The behaviours, the mindset, the intentions, the awareness all stay the same. The self-compassion is at the forefront of your mind. The imperfection is there for you. And then it's about coming into a fat loss phase. And, and one of the things that I like to think is, because you see it like, oh, 12-week diet plan. And I mean, I remember when I did this work, a 12-week diet plan would have absolutely petrified me. You know, to think I've got to go and restrict my calories for 12 weeks. After yo-yo dieting and binge eating, over-restricting for all these years, absolutely not. So one of the things I like to say here is, we'll try it for a week. See how you get on for a week. And then come back and recognize how you're feeling. Instead of overwhelming yourself and being like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to diet in the entire year. Because depending on the adipose level of fat storage you have, the level of adipose tissue you have, should I say, um, it's gonna be dependent on how long you're in a fat loss phase. But a fat loss phase should add value to your life. It should be making you feel better, not worse. Which is where you then sit with delayed gratification and you can focus more on the process. And I like to say, look at qualitative data, not just freaking quantitative. Because if you're just governing your entire success on the scales, again, you're conforming to diet culture because that's all you've been taught. Whereas when you do your food relationship, I push you all into recognizing how you're feeling. How is your fitness? How is your sleep? How's your stress management? How is your libido? We have these conversations. Continue with that data. Continue checking in with that. Because sure, the scales will change. You'll be in a fat loss phase. But we can override how we're feeling from the freaking number on a set of 20 pound scales. So as an example, you may have followed like your first week, you may have thought, yeah, do you know what? I knocked off um, a snack in the afternoon and I was able to sit with a moderate level of hunger. I managed my stress. I did my evening reflection. I was grateful. I was self-compassionate. I ate lots of protein, lots of veggies. I connected. I had a really wholesome week and I'm proud of myself. I'm feeling a little bit fitter. I'm standing a little bit taller. Great, right? So you're feeling overall better in yourself. You step on the scales and you see the scales haven't changed. You instantly feel deflated, frustrated. Well, I clearly haven't done enough. And then you question yourself. And then you doubt yourself. You criticize yourself. And then you potentially can fall into maladaptive coping strategies. Like emotional eating, binge eating. So always check in with that. Um, what would be a non-negotiable for fat loss you'd give? Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Hmm. There'd probably be a couple. Self-compassion, number one. You cannot diet from a place of guilt and shame you cannot diet from a place of hatred and until you accept yourself 
you cannot embark on real change. Fact. And self-compassion gets a bad rap. People think it's woo-woo, airy-fairy. There are two sides of compassion, fierce and soft. And I argue for the majority, we need more fierce compassion. Fierce compassion so that we don't fall into all or nothing the minute we have a perceived setback. Instead, we're able to rethink, reframe and adapt with the situation that's been presented to us. Say as an example, you were caught short, you had to grab a sandwich and it was, I don't know, a BLT sandwich or something, right? And you believe that's bad. You'll feel guilty and then you'll be like, screw this, I'll just get a takeaway on the way home. Self-compassion is kindness. It's mindfulness. It's common humanity, knowing that slip-ups are inevitable. They are going to happen. That doesn't mean you are a failure. That means something has happened that has just caused a change in your routine. And let's be honest, if your best friend said to you, oh, I had to grab a BLT for lunch today, you wouldn't then say to her, you screwed up your diet, love. You need to go to Domino's tonight and order a large Domino's pizza and a tub of Ben Jerry's. No, you wouldn't. You'd never give that advice. Because you're caring and compassionate for those around you that you love the most. And self-compassion is adopting the advice that you give out. And as Kristen Nerf said, who developed self-compassion, you wouldn't feed your child five tubs of ice cream because you love them, yet you'd do that to yourself. So the first one would be self-compassion. And the second one is something that I talk about so much to the point where I'm surprised I'm not blowing my face about it. But regular eating, like genuinely. Because if you've ever fallen into emotional eating, overeating, irrespective of whether you're in a fat loss phase or not, your meal regularity is fundamental. Fundamental. And I like to use an analogy and nobody's ever told me it doesn't really make sense, but in my head, it makes sense. So if you got in your car now and you had to make a 50 mile round trip, but you only had 20 miles in your tank, you'd be forever thinking about whether or not you're going to get to that petrol station. Oh my God, am I going to get this trip? Where is the next petrol station? Like fuel would be on your mind the entire journey, right? And you'd get so far around and then you'd plunk out. Like, oh my God. Why did I not just get some fuel? Why did I not just make time for that, right? Then you've got to wait for the AA or some roadside assistance. It's going to cost you £500 for them to come out. So it's going to cost you an astronomical amount of money. Then they're going to tow you to a garage. And then it's going to cost you even more because you've got to refill the entire tank. And you have to stand there pumping the fuel into your car, right? Exactly the same happens in terms of human behavior, if we're skipping meals. If you're leaving your house in the morning without having breakfast, you haven't got the quote-unquote fuel, and I hate that food is fuel because it's not so much more than that, but you haven't got the energy on board to get you through your day. So what are you doing thinking about food the entire day? 
so preoccupied by food, can't stop thinking about food, then you're going to swing by the shop on your way home, spend an astronomical amount of money, both in terms of energy intake and finances on food because you are ravenous, you are hangry, then you'll come home and you'll continue to overeat. Just like getting the AA out, spending loads of money, wasting time, having to go and get fuel, food. It's exactly the same. Self-compassion and meal regularity. And you can eat regularly and, and be in a caloric deficit. I hate this notion that you should just eat three meals a day and that's it. It's ludicrous when we consider people's wake and sleep hours. I have clients that are up from 5 a.m. and not going to bed till 10 p.m. If I said to them, just eat three meals a day, they would be ravenous. Ravenous. So you just adapt. And this is where flexibility is fundamental. And that comes from being mindful, right? With self-compassion. So, yeah, I think those two in particular would be would be key yeah um how to work through perfection with food like if i don't eat enough protein i think i've done bad so i think screw this i'll start again tomorrow i mean firstly the awareness you have here is phenomenal and that's likely because this question came after our call <laughs> that you recognize it's nothing to do with if you don't eat protein. It's to do with the perfection thoughts and how if you don't perfectly hit it, you then potentially feel like a failure, potentially feel some guilt. And that's where this all or nothing, screw this mindset comes in. So... I can reframe that question back to you and ask you, how do you think perfection is helpful for your diet? And has perfection ever been beneficial to you with your diet? And you'll likely then elaborate and recognize that no, it hasn't. And that likely the perfection has stemmed from previous methods that have triggered all or nothing behaviors but have now formed into a limiting belief that you believe you need to be perfect in order to get success and get results. And I think people believe that imperfection gives them an excuse. Like, well, if I'm doing it, if I'm not doing it perfectly, then I'm I'm not good enough and I, and I, and I need to do better. But in an essence, perfection's holding you back. It's stopping you taking action. And as I've said so many times, perfection creates more action than perfection ever will. Imperfection creates more action than perfection ever will, sorry. Because if you imperfectly see that, oh, like, okay, my lunch today as an example, I've chosen what I'm having for lunch. I'm having a lentil cottage pie or something like that with some veggies and an apple. There's minimal protein in it. But I know I've had protein for breakfast and I've had protein for snack. I'll have a protein for my afternoon snack and there'll likely be a, be a bit of protein in my tea. However, if I'd adopted the all or nothing mindset and thought, well, I've not had protein in my lunch today, like protein's on a bloody pedestal, shouldn't be. 
then what would I do this evening? Potentially go and get a Domino's. Not that that's bad at all, but again, it lies with the intent, right? And if the intent is done from punishment because you believe you've done something bad, is that helpful? Or rather, can you recognize your day, your week? Have you eaten enough protein today? Have you eaten enough um, protein this week? And I'd rather go day to day with protein just because it's super important for muscle protein synthesis. If you can look back on your day and be like, yeah, pretty much hit 100 grams, 90 grams, great. And asking yourself, if holding on to this perfection, is this sending me forward with action or is it sending me back and preventing action? And it will, will require some vulnerability to recognize that perfection is not helpful, but it's not. And I think as well, noting that perfection doesn't exist. It genuinely doesn't. It's a perception. It's a perception of our own beliefs that have manifested from our own experiences. Like some people will believe that hitting their calories every day is perfect, not hitting protein. Some people will believe that eating chocolate every day within a balanced diet is perfect. Not, not hitting protein. And this is where you can come full circle back to be like, okay, this is thought, it's not fact. And the fact of the matter is, one meal does not dictate your entire intake, but you can soon let it if you're trying to be perfect. So check in with that. And as well, I think, I remember I used to years ago, like we're talking probably 10 years ago now, I used to use it as an excuse. So if I hadn't hit my calories or hadn't hit enough veggies or whatever I was doing back then, I'd then be like, well, it's an excuse to eat whatever I want and get back on it tomorrow. Because in essence, it was the one thing that brought me joy. And I always come full circle back to that because I think it's worth checking with what it does for you, which is where the simplicity of calories in versus calories out I mentioned earlier is massively underrated and gives a huge disservice to human behavior. Like, why are you eating that way? What what does perfection do to you? If on a Friday you have a sandwich and then it's screw this and getting a pizza and having some chocolate, is that because you like having a pizza and chocolate? So you follow that pattern and use that as an excuse. And that's me being really fierce, but really honest. All right. So that's it. Amazing questions. As always, let me know if you have any questions based on this, or if you have any more questions, I'll be happy to answer them always. And thank you again for tuning in. It's been a great first live Q&A back. Great. Have a wonderful day.